0: Welcome to the Breaking Stars podcast where we feature stories that help you get high paying jobs in tech in less than 12 months. It does not matter if you can go to school for free or if you have an income share agreement where you don't have to pay until you get a job if you cannot live while you go through the program. Which is why we are featuring the CEO of Kenzie Academy, Chuck Oi, so you can understand why they are giving people the opportunity to earn a check while they go through their program if you are someone that has been trying to break into tech for a long time as a software engineer make sure you download the career Comma app so we can share more about programs like kenzie academy but also pay close attention to this episode so you understand what other things kenzie does to make this type of education accessible, not just to people in Indiana where they're based, but across the entire nation. Um, This episode is really powerful. I had the opportunity to meet this brother last year in November 2018, where he told me about his vision, um, and I was really blown away by the program, Um, and I want you all to really think deeper about uh, why this program might be special for you. If you all have feedback about the program, make sure you all send us an email to Ruben, Archer, or Timor at breakinginthostars.com. If you have not liked our Facebook page or joined our community, our Breaking Into Stars community, make sure you do that ASAP. And if you like it, tell your friends. And uh just let us know how we could get better. Uh, this is a really powerful episode. Without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10 next. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Archer, can you please tell us what we're doing today?
1: Yeah, so... I'm sitting here with Timo and Ruben in our headquarters, and we're interviewing a really interesting guest that we're going to go into his story in a bit. But I just wanted to highlight one of the big milestones we achieved this month. Career Karma community now is over 30,000 members and growing. So if you haven't checked out Career Karma and you've been listening to the Breaking Startups podcast, then definitely go to careerkarma.com and sign up. But something that is really important to the Bringing Startups team and the Career Karma team is increasing access to education, to alternative education. And ISAs, income share agreements, have allowed thousands of people to obtain this education without paying anything up front and only paying back once they get a job. So Career Karma team put together a report on ISAs and we've highlighted emerging players, innovators, the various trends we're seeing that are going to be Influential in the coming years. So, if you go to the Career Karma website, you'll be able to get the report. And without further ado, Ruben, can you please introduce the guest?
0: Yes, we're here with a man who came here with two suitcases and a pocket full of dreams. His name is Chuck Oi, CEO of Kenzie Academy. He is a startup veteran working at places like Looped, started by Sam Altman from Y Combinator. Uh, He started his own company called Agility. He's a 500 Startups mentor. Like us, he also worked in finance in technology, actually, at Goldman Bank of America, BNP Paribas during a very tough time during the financial crisis. He went to uh, Purdue in Indianapolis and graduated from University of Texas. And today, we're going to talk about how he is realizing his dreams to help people break into tech in the heartlands. But before going into that vision, let's just say welcome, Chuck.
2: Thanks for having me, everybody and team.
0: No problem, man. It It feels awesome to come back full circle. I think we met last year before we were actually in, in Y Combinator. And it feels awesome to bring it back full circle. So before getting into it, why don't we start off by telling asking you to tell us what is Kenzie Academy, what's your vision for Kenzie Academy, and let's go from there.
2: Yeah. So Kenzie is a one to two year program that really takes people who has passion and interest to break into technology to provide them with the right training, the right mindset and the right access and giving people an accelerated pathway towards a career and opportunity in technology.
0: Got it. Yeah. And so a lot of people have thought about going to college, but Kenzie, is an alternative to that? Do you guys, you guys help people become software engineers, but is it only software engineering or what kind of training do you provide here?
2: Yeah, it's beyond the software engineering. So today we have three programs that we offer, software engineering, user experience engineering and digital marketing, but we're also working on adding more programs as well. So, the way we see Kenzie is that we are kind of a, a breed between a three month bootcamp and a four year college, taking the best of both worlds to create a, a new immersive program that is longer than a bootcamp, but less than half the time of traditional college and focusing on retraining people into what we call new economy tech jobs. Got it. Yeah. So, jobs that are in demand, but also new jobs that probably don't exist today, but may come up a few years from now.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think since we've been doing the podcast for the last three years, we've seen how the bootcamp industry has evolved in terms of access. And Kenzie does something unique that I don't think there's any other school that does it, which is helping someone get a job while they're learning so they can study for 12 months. Can you talk a a little bit about that access and how Kenzie does it?
2: Definitely. So we see that one of the biggest challenge for the main bulk of our students who are non-traditional students is that many of them, you know, they have family obligations, they have mortgages, they have payments and all. They need to make a paycheck to support themselves while they go through a program like Kenzie. And that's one of the reasons why many people can do, uh, can't go back to school or drop out from such programs when they run out of money. So we designed Kenzie around the student versus asking students to meet the school where we are. And that's why we came up with the a highly scalable earn and learn program. In partnership with Kelly Services, which is one of the largest staffing firms in the country and also a Kenzie investor and partner. So today, every student who enrolls at Kenzie who needs a job can get a job working tech support. And the job is designed around the Kenzie class schedule so that students don't have to worry about having to take shifts where it will allow them to miss classes. But it's also a remote job. So people can pretty much do it anywhere in their home. Except for, you know, five to six states where there are you know, uh, stricter employment laws, where the current earn and learn program currently does not support, but we're working on other opportunities to hopefully cover all 50 states very soon.
0: Wow, that's super powerful. So to be very clear, anybody that can enroll in County Academy has the opportunity to get a job so they earn a check while they learn. Okay, awesome. Granted, it's
2: still like any other job, you still have to go to the interview process and everything, but you get an accelerated pathway towards this job and you get a lot of support from us to help you make sure you get hired.
0: Solid clarification. Thank you for doing that. Like Archer mentioned before, you know, people in CareerCom are starting to join Kenzie and we see them tweeting all the time. And something that we saw is like you're bringing in billionaires to the classroom, you got like people from Google doing workshops. Like, tell us about what you do on a weekly basis in addition to offering a really powerful curriculum and giving people a check while they learn.
2: Yeah. So to give you context on that, I, you know, like I'm an immigrant and I've always felt like I've, I've been an underdog since coming to this country. And I always say that the only the difference between two smart people who are equally smart and equally hardworking and one comes from privilege and one doesn't is access. Mm-hmm. The person for privilege will have access to a lot of people, whether it's in their family because they went to a good school and they have access to successful people who can mentor and support them. So what we want to do at Kenzie is pretty much level the playing field so for someone like myself who lack like access coming in, we connect them to pretty much successful people in technology, but in other fields as well. So yeah, we brought in the founder of Travelocity, one of the founding members of Priceline.com. We brought in the U.S. negotiator with North Korea that came to speak at Kenzie. We brought in the head of learning science at uh, Chen Initiative and a lot of other speakers, people from Google, Facebook to pretty much give our, our students an opportunity to, to get to meet them, but also know that, you know, our students are no different from many of the successful people. Yeah. And that they too, you know, with the right opportunity and the right hard work, can be as successful as a lot of the guest speakers we bring in through our Kenzie Innovation Series.
0: Got him, got him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to bring up just because, you know, a lot of people are going to be getting the skill sets. And then at the same time, even when you graduate from Kenzie, you still have to meet people. So it sounds like you incorporate networking through the process. Can you talk a little bit about how you think about the structure of the curriculum? I think you talked about apprenticeships and things like that. Like, what are your thoughts about like the whole program and how do people look for jobs in the future? I think it's a little unique than traditional boot camps.
2: Yeah. So with the 12-month Kenzie program, because our programs are a lot longer than a three-month bootcamp, we don't just teach you how to memorize code. We teach you to have a fundamental understanding of how things work under the hood. And make you think like an engineer. And what that means is, the first thing I always tell students when you graduate from Kenzie, even if you forget anything we teach you in the programming languages, we will count them as successful if they learn how to learn. Because of how fast the industry is evolving, you may learn uh, Ruby or Python today, but two years from now, a new sexy language will come up and what you learn is totally outdated. And we want to teach people to have the right mindset of learning how to learn so they can evolve successfully as the industry changes. And then the other one is also kind of, you know, putting, immersing them in an environment where they're constantly solving problems. Because an engineer at the end of the day, like companies will hire you not because you know how to code version X point Y of Ruby, but they hire you to be problem solvers. And, and those are typically skills you would acquire in a much longer four year college setting. And we're incorporating a lot of those into the Kenzie program while also teaching people the latest and greatest stuff in
3: the industry. And Chuck, we know that in the pre-chat you mentioned that your students now come from 40 different states, right? And <laughs> it's very different than when Archer and I were going to coding boot camps where we had to quit our jobs, we had to move to a different coast, we had to do it full time. And now part of access is being able to do it from anywhere in the country. Can you talk about like how is it different now? Like What has changed in the last couple of years that you're able to... Uh, train and help people find jobs anywhere in the country.
2: Yeah. So our team at Kenzie came from schools like Galvanize and General Assembly and others. So we we managed to learn a lot from what the kind of the first generation boot camps are doing to create something that we hope and feel would a wider access. So like you said earlier, kind of the earlier boot camps were mostly concentrated in major cities. So if you live in rural Ohio or Michigan or Indiana, you pretty much don't have access to a lot of those opportunities, or you'll have to then move to one of the cities to then do that to be successful. So with Kenzie, we have a we call it a virtualized classroom environment where students attend Kenzie either in person at our Indianapolis campus or anywhere from their home. But they attend in such a way that you know, the cameras are on the whole day. They fully engage with instructors. And instructors can also be anywhere. So we can find the, the smartest people anywhere in the country to teach. You know, without being isolated, you know, the excess of talent in, in any city we're in. So students learn from the best no matter where they are. And students can learn from anywhere as long as they have access to high speed internet connection. So that hopefully allows us to provide a reach to people everywhere in the country, no matter where they are and no matter their financial personal financial uh, situation.
0: Yeah. Got it. Got it. And I love the access. I love the way you're doing things in a distributed way. Can you talk a little bit about Income share agreements. I know that you have been a big leader in this perspective, or just student loans in general, just like student financing. Period. I think you have all the options, and just kind of like talking about your perspective on this education financing.
2: Yeah. So we started using income shares, uh, income share agreements, or ISAs two years ago. Which back then, we you know there weren't too many schools that were using ISAs, and the reason we you know we looked at the student loan industry, and you know as you all can see, we're five 1.5 trillion deep into it. I think the the original design for student loans uh, meant well, but you know, just like everything, just like the housing crisis back in 2008, when you have a government-backed instrument where schools generally get paid up front, and there's very very little accountability on outcomes, and all at the end of it, you tend to create kind of the misaligned incentives. Where, of course, and also as if you can borrow almost an unlimited amount. What that happens is encourage schools to raise tuition every single year. So higher education becomes more and more expensive. Students end up accumulating more and more student loans. And with interest for many of them that don't have immediate successful outcomes or are in majors where you know they don't make enough to even pay it back. That's why you end up with kind of essentially like a lifetime servitude model where I've been reading that people, some people in their sixties hold student loan debt and that has you know prevented people from buying houses you know getting married raising kids and having a good that's kind of essentially the loss of the the american dream right there i so, also read
1: somewhere where if you have student debt and you're in your and, and you're retired they'll actually take out that money out of your social security which is kind of insane cuz you've worked for 40 years and like the student debt you got when you were 18 or 20 in college is going to hunt you until you die basically
2: Precisely. So we want to serve the demographic, the underdogs that are being underserved, but do not want to use an instrument, you know, or even a private student loan with high interest rates that would essentially put people in such a bind that, you know, you go to school because you want a better life and you don't want the cost of school to essentially take away your dream for a better life. So that's why the income share agreement model is very attractive to us. Even, even though we are a very strong proponent of income shares, it is not a perfect financing tool, despite what you hear out in the market. So it is not right for everybody, but it is a good tool that will allow us to serve a lot more students than we otherwise would uh, without
3: Got it. And I want to also explain to our listeners in case they're just hearing about income sharing for the first time, what income sharing is and what it kind of does, which is different than student loans. Is it aligns incentives of the school and the student? On helping the student get a job. And there's a lot of schools that have missions, but if you're paying upfront for the school or you're taking out a loan and the bank now, you're paying the bank and the bank paid the school, then traditionally the incentive systems don't align. And then by the time someone's graduating from a four year degree, you get a degree, but then you don't get a job because the school already got what they wanted. With income sharing, which is something that's different and innovative, is that To start a school like Kenzie, you only have to pay $100, right? And the student doesn't have to pay until they make over a certain amount of money. And if they don't make over that amount of money, then the student never has to pay them. And I think that's what's unique and different that the schools that are successful in training their students, that genuinely want their students to be in these jobs, they're going to be able to pay their teachers and stay in business and keep helping more people. But if the school is not successful, then the student doesn't have to take that huge risk paying for that education upfront. We call it a pay
2: for model. When you are successful, you contribute to your income share. And for Kenzie, it's a four-year payment. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't drag you on until 10, 20, 30 years later. And by you making repayment when you're successful, it helps create a sustainable model mm-hmm. so that the next person after you have equal access to the the education and access and opportunities that you have with Kenzie as well. Yeah.
3: And Chuck, do you mind sharing? A, so how does, what are the payment plans that Kenzie offers and how are they structured for our listeners who might be considering Kenzie?
2: Yeah. So we have a very diverse demographic of students. And that's why we have multiple ways for students to pay for the Kenzie education. Our tuition is $24,000. For the full twelve months, so we do have some students who either pay the full twenty-four thousand upfront, or they would do a monthly payment plan of twelve months, or they'll either do a full income share or a half income share. So the way with the half income share works is that they will pay twelve thousand dollars upfront, and then they would take the remainder as an income share. So instead of making a payment of a percentage of their income for four years, they will only make about two years of payment, and then they're done. So for people who've saved up some saved up some money. That is a good option for them. But then for people who just don't have that savings available, which is where majority of our students are, they would do the full income share, which we still ask them to pay $100 down. We call it a commitment fee because we feel like people value the education more when they put some money in. They have skin in the game. But essentially, they pay no other tuition until they graduate, get a job making more than $40,000 a year, in which case they would then contribute a percent of their income for 48 months.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit about some examples of the background of your students that are currently in Kenzie that have graduated from Kenzie so people can like kinda paint that picture in their minds?
2: Sure. So for example, TJ did a little bit of college and dropped out and then he worked as a security guard, worked at Chick-fil-A, and then found Kenzie, did our training, graduated and currently makes fifty five thousand dollars a year. We have another student, Megan, who actually had a college degree but had a series of underpaid jobs, didn't really have Much of a, she she felt like she was stuck, didn't really have a pathway towards a successful career. So after Kenzie, she was employed by a company called Zylo in Indianapolis that was funded by a VC ambassador. And now she's an associate engineer over at Zylo that is doing pretty well. Yeah. And then on the other hand, we also have some students who, about 18, 19 year olds who graduate out of high school who decided that they want a true alternative to college Mm -hmm. and they want to waste four years of their lives going to school and then graduate with a lot of student on debt. Mm-hmm. And while well, we're seeing also a, a uptick in students like this that are doing Kenzie as a you know, instead of a four year college.
0: Yeah. And I love how you're you're so focused on people that are living in their cities being able to work in their cities. I mean, like you have these roots in Indiana, there's big companies that are there that weren't there before, like Salesforce and all these other organizations that are there. Um your your partnership with Cali Services gives you access to a huge employment network. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit more about how you came up with the name for Kenzie Academy and like, why is it so personal to you?
2: Yeah. So Kenzie is actually named after my third and youngest daughter, Caitlin McKenzie. Only. So it is a personal mission for me, but also for the rest of our team at Kenzie as well. A lot of us have had successful companies and this is a part of us uh, giving back to the, to the community in the country that's given us so much. But at the same time, we also want to create a model that's highly scalable so that we can provide access to Hopefully, hundreds of thousands of people in the next few years around the country. And the reason I chose my youngest daughter is the, the vision for Kenzie is by the time she reaches higher ed, a model like Kenzie is a viable alternative. So that four years is college is not the only option available mm-hmm. to people who want to seek higher education for a better life. And, and the, I, I chose the youngest one. So I have a couple more years to make that happen.
0: <laughs> and the ultimate is for Kenzie to be a Kenzie graduate. Ah. That yep, <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, so, you know, I got to drink my own Kool-Aid, right? So yeah. essentially when Caitlin McKenzie goes to Kenzie and graduates from Kenzie, that is the
0: outcome. That's thing. a nice little loop. And I love that a lot. And speaking of personal passion and ability, and you're building Kenzie, but you didn't have to. Like you've been successful before. You started this thing called Agility, which is also kind of like the, the prequel to Kenzie Academy. You learned a lot through that process. So tell us what Agility was and, and how that's related to what you're doing now.
2: Yeah. So the first company I started nine years ago was like, we mentioned, a company called agility.io. It was to solve the, the shortage of talent in Silicon Valley by going to a new community to train raw talent. So we went to Southeast Asia, to Vietnam, to hire people who are hungry for opportunity, but lack access. And we train them out ourselves. We also feed them when we, we have now ships and everything. We feed them when we train them. And then after that, we place them on projects with, uh, U.S. tech companies. So Agility today does work with Google, Uber, Major League Baseball, uh, we were working with companies like NerdWallet and Ship.com, uh, Meetup.com, and many, many others, but also global tech companies now. We're building things in Africa, in Jakarta, in South America, in East Asia, around the world. So pretty much built within nine years, we took a concept that people say will never work and build it into a, a very global company with 250 employees. We have no investors. Yeah, oh, wow. Because like I I've, I've, I've been an underdog all my life. When I started Agility, we tried to raise money, but no, everyone said no to us. So we said, fine, we'll bootstrap it and we bootstrap it to a multi-million dollar business it is today. And because we have no investors, we're starting to share our profits with our partners and our employees and hoping over time, you know, empowering employees to be successful in having a good life. So yeah, after that, I was actually about to, you know, because after spending so many years running a company, I pretty much miss seeing my kids grow up. And I was about to retire early, buy a beach house and actually spend more time with them. <laughs> and then the kind of the 2016 election happened. And regardless of what your political affiliation is, what really, it was a wake up call for me because I, you know, I was me and a lot of my friends were having very successful very good lives in the coast, but seeing how, you know, manufacturing jobs and jobs in general are being automated away and people, you know, the companies that were been there in communities for generations are now Letting go hundreds, if not thousands of people. And with all that anger and loss of hope, I, you know, wanted to step in to do my part because this country has given me so much. And this is my opportunity to give back to use my connections and my knowledge and how to train people to be successful in technology and apply that to build Kenzie, which with a core mission of training up talent in communities that are being overlooked and hopefully bringing more jobs and opportunities to these communities so that in the future you no longer have to move to silicon valley to have a successful yeah. career.
1: Can we unpack this a little bit cuz we have a lot of community members who live in cities that have dying industries or industries have left 5, 10 years ago and right now they're looking for opportunities but they don't exist there. So kind of like what are your like what advice would you have for them people folks who are trying to kind of reinvent themselves or pick up a new career? Later in their life, like what could they do now to like to basically kind of provide for their families and start generating a new income?
2: Definitely, build have faith in yourself. People who are successful in Silicon Valley are honestly no different than you. The only difference is they have access to a network that you you are lacking. And start networking. Start making a plan for yourself to say, I I want to you know I want to do something for myself and for my community. And actually, this. Just go do it. And if you want to go into tech and if you don't have the technical background, a kind of program like Kenzie or others around the country, get yourself trained up so that you you know, you know have the toolboxes that allows you to make a difference to your life and the life of your community.
1: Yeah. yeah. So Kenzie can help them build that network, right? Because you guys invite a lot of Silicon Valley companies to talk to your students. And there's the students themselves who are going to go on to work at companies. But in terms of... like companies that like because a lot of people people think of google facebook as the tech companies but then they don't think of walmart or some other like home depot as a tech company or even
0: goldman where you work
1: yeah but can you tell us kind of like what types of companies are you seeing your graduates who live in these smaller towns where do they end up finding jobs
2: so that's also the reason why I, I moved back to Indianapolis to run Kenzie instead of trying to do it from San Francisco. Because when you're in that bubble, you actually don't know how the rest of the country thinks and operates, uh, which is very, very different. San Francisco is, is very different from the rest of America. So we actually did a survey of our students to ask them to name the top five tech companies they desire to work for. And me, after living in the coast for so long, would think that the, the, the answer was, you know, Google, Uber, Facebook, you know, Twitter. Turns out none of those companies make the list.
0: Interesting.
2: Our students, actually, their dream companies are companies that they see in their community, people they know work there, or they walk by it, or they hear about it in the local news and everything, which was a, a waking, wake-up call, wake call for me, a second wake-up call for me to say, we cannot use a Silicon Valley mindset to you know, provide equal access to other communities that are so different from Silicon Valley. You have to be on the ground. And that's why we spend so much time in all these communities outside of Silicon Valley. Yeah, which yeah. is really be where our, 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 our students are, be where the employers are, really understand them by living with the community. And then we can then craft a solution that really meets what their needs are.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I would say uh is is you know the best way now is if you want to break into tech and you don't have the right toolbox, attend a program like Kenzie so that you you can you know get the skills so that you can be employable but also have the networking opportunities. We do a lot in Kenzie because we believe that the networking is equally as important as your technology skills. But I'm sure other schools give people access to those as well. Leverage that, get your first job, build up that that knowledge, and then hopefully at the right time, go on and launch companies and solve problems. Yeah,
3: Yeah, and I want to also emphasize in terms of like the step-by-step roadmap (laughs) for anyone who is listening right now. If you are listening and you're hungry, Right. If you're inspired by Chuck's story and you haven't joined Career Karma yet, your first step should be joining Career Karma because we created groups like squads like the Kenzie Academy squad, where you can meet students who are attending Kenzie Academy, who started a month ago. And you can just ask them about their experience, how they got started and start growing that network that Chuck emphasized is so is so important because. The best way to start growing your network is, is to just start, right? And if you start building relationships with students who are already in the school, by the time you graduate, they'll already be in jobs. And so you'll instantly know people from different states, different parts of the country who are going to also mentor you and help you get into those jobs. So definitely make sure to download our app. Make sure to do the 21-day challenge and to join the Kansas Academy squad. Chuck, for you, one of the questions that come up a lot is around remote work for bootcamp graduates. I know there's people who are living in parts of the country where maybe the next biggest city next to them is like two hours away. So my question to you is, do you have any students who have gotten remote work after they've graduated from Kenzie?
2: Yes, actually. And that's where we see the future of work heading is it's going to be a lot more remote and companies will be chasing after talent no matter where talent is instead of the other way around. So actually, there are a few companies that have actually hire our students to work remotely. But the honest part is the number is still very small today, but I expect that to pick up uh, very quickly. But we at Kenzie are also uh, working with our talent success team. We're working on building partnerships with employers. There are a growing list of companies that hire uh, a fully remote workforce. And uh, we're building those partnerships, but also with companies that are so desperate in hiring. Some of the companies we work with, they have job openings that have been there over 100 days and they couldn't fill it. And for them, suddenly remote talent becomes more and more attractive to them. Um, So we're doing that as well. But at the same time, you know, for uh, people who are in very rural places, if there aren't, you know, access to shopping opportunities, we're hoping now that company in the near regional cities, would give them opportunities. So now they have the financial means to make a move to to work there, make their money for a couple of years, and then hopefully you know, convince the companies to bring those jobs back to their communities.
0: No, and I, and I love how you're encouraging people, and not just encouraging them, but like people from your communities are not even thinking about what you would typically think for tech companies. I have family that wants to work at like Finish Line, based in Indianapolis, or Eli Lilly in Indianapolis, or. You know Simon Property Group, like all these companies that aren't tech companies, might be tech companies in the future. And if they don't, that that I means they're not going to be able to survive in the future. So I love that you're you focused on this wave. Can you talk a little bit more about how you broke into tech? I think you know you you graduated with an engineering degree, I believe. But how did you kind of like get into this whole like tech wave? I mean, I don't think your parents were our software engineers.
2: <laughs> no. Well, my um, my, like I say, I come from uh, a very middle class family in Malaysia. And uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked initially as a chemist and then as a salesperson for Dow Chemicals, a U.S. company, in Malaysia. So I've always been encouraged not to take risks, to go to a good school, get a good education, get a good job, and then work my way up the chain and retire. And uh, was never, you know, my dad was very conservative, and always said, "Don't take risks." Even after I launched my company with hundred-plus employees, he still asked me, "Do you know what you're doing today?" So never, I never thought that I would uh, ever be an entrepreneur. And uh, that's why I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. I pretty much saw a problem and was trying to, as an engineer, because we're problem solvers, Mm -hmm. uh, I said, I'm going to fix that, uh, which was, how do you solve the the wall for talent in Silicon Valley eight to nine years ago? It's getting worse now, even today. And decided to do something and then suddenly find myself having to start a company to solve that and then Mm -hmm. having to build a team, hire people and train people and all. So it's all happened by accident. Even with Kenzie, it was more seeing a problem and wanting to put on my engineering hat to say, I, I want to find a solution to solve it. Then that led us to design a school that is totally from the ground up, designed to target and make it accessible and remove barriers for people who lack opportunity and lack access to be able to go back to school and have a shortcut to a career in technology.
3: Yeah. yeah. Can you unpack kind of how you view risk? I think this is important because on, on these career transitions, I mean, every single one of us, Ruben, Arter, and I, we had to quit our jobs to do this, right? I and-
0: almost cried on your stage, by the way. Remember that? Remember <laughs> when I was on stage <laughs> and, we were, and we were talking about how we quit our job and how we're gonna apply to Y Combinator again? And somebody asked me about rejection. I, that. Yep. I got really emotional.
3: That was heavy. Yeah. And lives like a successful journeys. They're all filled with rejection. And I think a lot of people naturally they want to stay safe. And then there are comfort zones. But in order to achieve like on in, in order to achieve unordinary ordinary results you have to do something different and so when it comes to you coming to the states you quitting your job to break into tech starting multiple companies how do you view risk
2: yeah and if you ever you know if you go in an asian family to say i'm quitting a, a high paying pe- uh, banking job to do that uh, <laughs> you know that raises a lot of hair of parents are like what what how is my son failed?
3: where did i mess <laughs> up <laughs>
2: <laughs> what did i mess up what's wrong with him <laughs> So I have a very, uh, one of my mentor who pretty much uh, really changed my perspective in life and risk. He's like, you know, we, we have a limited time in this world, even in our careers. We have the next, you know, 30, 40, you know, if you want to stretch longer, 50 years in this. Do you want to be in a job where you are generating the minimum return and, you know, getting the least amount of satisfaction? Or do you want to be in a job where, you know, you, you get the maximum impact you feel? You know, you feel like every day you wake up, you're excited to go to work instead of dreading uh, that it's Monday and I have to go back to work. And it's a decision that only you can make. If you want to play it safe and stay at a job that you hate, earning paycheck to paycheck, it's a life's choice. There's nothing wrong about it. And what that really changed my perspective with my mentor actually coaching me. And for me is like, you know, I have even, you know, another maybe two decades left in this, in this career and. What can I do that will provide a maximum impact? And you know, for me, because I have the luxury of I, I've had a successful company now, so financially I'm no longer struggling. So that gives me think about uh, what I really want to do. And it's for me, but the personal choice is about giving back to build something that my kids will be proud of me when they when they grow up. Even though during this time, you know, I I, I sacrifice time with them uh, to build my other baby, which is Kenzie. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think I think also um, I think. For a lot of people, it's also understanding uh, the pros and cons. Like, if I succeed, what type of return or what type of impact can I expect? And if I fail, yeah, what would that look like? And think about what you have to lose. Yeah, Um, exactly.
2: Yeah, the calculation I had was: you know, I've been in uh, before I started my company. I've been in tech and banking. I have my engineering skills, Mm -hmm. so I could never go hungry. There will always be a developer job available to me, and the worst case if I fail is that I can fall back to this job and, and still be able to make a living. So when you think about it that way, then, you know, it makes, uh, risk, uh, taking risks, uh, makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. But I also gather that everyone has a very different background as well. So think about what your fallback plan is before taking risks. I also take calculated risk. You know, I always have scenario. everything I do. There's always plan A, plan B and plan C, uh, knowing that plan A doesn't always work out. Yeah. But. At the end of the day, it is your, this knowledge base that you have on your network. Yeah. And even if you fail flat and fail miserably, you can always fall back to your skills, your your vocational skill, and coding. I'm starting to say, becoming more and more vocational. Yeah. And the people you know that would give you other opportunities to move on. Yeah.
3: Um, so Yeah. yeah. And where, where I'm going with this also is that like if you're someone who is uh, stuck in a job that you hate, and you might be working in retail, and you're, you're afraid that your that job is going to go away. Five years ago, there weren't a lot of people who could afford paying $20,000 upfront to do a school. Today, there's pathways, right? And these pathways have data points of people who are just like you. Uh, we have now almost 120, maybe even more episodes of other people from non-traditional backgrounds who broke into tech. But for every of our guests, there's hundreds of other people who have similar background stories who also broke in. And so even though you are going to be outside your comfort zone, you are going to be taking risks, the pathway is already defined. You just have to get on it. You have to commit to it. And then you just have to do the work. And I think what you were saying about income sharing, like to start Kenzie, it costs $100. And then you only pay once you're in a job. And so now you're helping also people to take this risk and take a calculated risk. That's also where the risk is decreased because they are getting paid and they are going to get through the 12 months. If you can get through those 12 months, your life is going to change. And, and so, some,
0: yeah. sometimes people got to see it. So once you see somebody yeah. make it happen, yeah. then, then you want to go in it, that direction.
2: If your current job involves anything that can, I can write a list of instruction to repeat what you do. It will go away over the next few years. Yeah. So the bigger risk for you is not taking the risk right now to upskill and change uh, into a, a different career, because you know uh, once automation comes in and reaches your job, that job is going away. Yeah. So you uh, you pretty much have to think about where and then start being in a place where you are the one doing the disruption. This mm-hmm. yeah. is the one being disrupted. Yeah. And yeah, like uh, Timur, uh, you mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, what we're doing at Kenzie is trying to de-risk as much as possible for people to remove barriers so people have that opportunity to come in and, and
0: change their lives. Let's talk some about something that's interesting. So like, I mean, this whole thing's interesting, but like something that we may not have covered historically around like economic cycles, right? So we're in a, a good market, right? And so things could go down. And you were, you were in finance during the 2008 when things were down, the mortgage crisis. We talked about student loans already that could happen again. What's your thoughts about cycles, economic cycles and things like that? And then talk about your Goldman experience, because you weren't an investment banker, you were working building tech for them, so kind of, and that was automating some of the trader jobs, can you talk about that? you kind of like so, living both things yeah.
2: <laughs> so economic cycles recession is a 100% thing it's it's when not if recession the next recession is going to happen mm-hmm. so that's just the that's just the design of capitalism the, the side effects of capitalism is that it, uh, you know we always when things are good things are extremely good and then you know you know we party too hard and then things start crashing down and then it hurts everybody and then we recover again so but you also have to look at the super cycle that is you know i would say the economic cycle Noise along the way. But what's happening with the super cycle is we're in this generation, just like at the beginning of the industrial revolution, we're at the early innings of the information and data revolution. Yeah. And uh, what took the Carnegie's and all these people like, you know, decades to make their wealth. We this is the generation where you have people like Zuckerberg and all these other people that are making it in so much less time than what it took the last cycle to happen. Mm. And it's still the early innings. So I'm not saying everyone's gonna be Mark Zuckerberg, but even if you don't make that amount of money, if you're if you are positioned in in such a way where you benefit from the wave, you're gonna have a comfortable life, or you're gonna do well. That your family's gonna be taken care of. So this is you know regardless of where the when the recession is gonna hit, the underlying need where our, every company now is moving to become a tech company, where you know antique companies uh, today will also have to build websites, will have to sell their things online, will have to reach their customers on digital channels and everything. That major cycle is happening as we speak. And even after the, uh, you know, when the recession happens or after the recession, the need for new jobs and most of the jobs will be technology based and technology oriented is so, so there's so much of that need that colleges today, because, you know, universities are not going to increase their capacity by hiring more tenured professors.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, that, that is, there's no way. Traditional higher ed can keep up to produce enough talent to meet the demands in the next decade. And the only way, the only thing that will happen is one scenario, many of those jobs will ship overseas because people overseas are, you know, they're, um, they're training more engineers and more new technologies to meet those jobs. Or if we want those jobs to stay in America, then it is schools like Kenzie, it is other boot camps, new college alternative models and new models coming up that will produce the amount of talent to meet those needs so that we can keep those jobs in America.
0: Yeah. yeah. So can can you talk about what you did at Goldman and Bank of America and BNP Paribas and how that led to the referral that got you to a tech company in Silicon Valley?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I've always wanted to work in tech and it so happened that when I graduated college, it was right after the dot-com crash. So I did a detour in finance. So this was uh, back then in the 2000s where banks were actually on their first innings to transform themselves into a tech company. So banks like I worked at Bank of America, at Goldman Sachs, and those banks were investing hundreds of millions of dollars to hire a lot of technologists that were let go from the dot com, from the tech industry. So I managed to work with a lot of people who came from tech, who were very very smart, and became great mentors. Of course, being in finance at that time, we were as a technologist, we were treated as second class citizens. So I was I you know I would sit on the trading floor and I was always getting all the dirt from the traders, but little did they know that we were building technology that would get a lot of those traders fired or get them you know, <laughs> automating away of their jobs. So you fast forward 10, 15 years, the trading floor today has way less traders than they did back when I was there. Yeah, and it's because of all the work we were doing, automating away all of those jobs. Yeah. And that's happening in the, in, the, in the industry in general right now. There are a lot of developers out there today that are building self-driving cars, automated factories, you know, the robot barista that would automate away all those Starbucks barista jobs. They may even come with a a positive attitude, (laughs) you know, with AI and everything. And you want to be at the forefront of creating these technologies versus the the barista who will be losing the job, you know, five, six, ten years from now.
3: Yeah. We always say uh, you want to be at the table, not on the table. Getting eaten. Yeah. (laughs) And that's just the natural progression of just like life and... uh, Like our society, there's always like booms and busts. There's always trends and waves. And as someone who is like sitting right now and listening, you got to think about not just like how do I get the next job for the next year, but like that's hard to predict, like which industry is going to pick up. But if you look at the next 20 years, right, and you start looking at where things are going, like where's all the talent going? Where's who are the biggest companies in the world? Everything is gravitating towards tech. Because it's just like a new, it's a new tool that a lot of companies are starting to embrace. And yeah. so you might We're not, in the yeah. tech
2: goal rush and yeah. you want to be in tech. You yeah. don't want to be in agriculture yeah. when, uh, during the last industrial goal rush.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think I want to highlight, like a lot of people ask, you know, how do I get a job without experience or with experience? And even if I have the skills and you had the skills, I've been through layoffs, you've been through layoffs, but you got into tech not by applying on a website, how'd you get into your Looped experience? How did that happen?
2: It was because of who I knew. Um, so an intern I hired from Carnegie Mellon uh, at Bank of America eventually went to work at Looped. And uh, when he found out I was let go at Goldman, you know, asked me to uh, come interview with the company. Wow. So. That's why we always say that uh you know the skill that you have is very important but who you know and your network is equally as important. Yeah. And that's why you you know uh you always want to early on I'm an introvert. I'm actually terrible at networking events. But I force myself to go out there and meet people and build connections and build relationships. Yeah. It's always uh, and also don't build it from the eye of being a transactional relationship. Yeah. Build a friendship like I don't I don't leverage a lot of my network for a long time. And when I when I, when I do need it, people come through and support me. And when people come from me for help, I do the same as well. Yeah. So it's a gift. it's a take, and I see it as more of a long term relationship versus a transactional uh, mm-hmm. kind of yeah. kind of.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Cool. And so your your sister's in Chicago. You got in, and is she in finance too? And like, t- tell us tell us more about what you see for Kenzie over the next five years. Um, how your family is like supporting you during this process? How does he, your parents feel now that you took this risk? I and mean, then we'll we'll go into the lightning round.
2: Yeah, my my, Chicago, my sister is uh, in PR in Chicago, uh, so I uh, definitely didn't follow the family business. Uh, in tech. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. PR will also become more and more tech, and uh, one oh, day yeah. she will
0: have those, super uh, important technologies. Yeah.
2: But yeah, you know, when uh, like like I said, you know, uh, my uh, my family always told me not to take risks, and uh, even after I ran a company that's generating a good amount of uh, profits, uh, my dad, you always ask me, do I know what I'm doing? Uh, <laughs> Trying to give me life advice and all.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, they actually get to come and uh, they they were here uh, over a year ago. Uh, they came to visit Kenzie and saw the campus and nice. there was orientation for a new batch. So there, uh, my dad was able to sneakily record uh, me giving a, a, a talk to our students.
0: <laughs> That's super cool. Uh, yeah.
2: So uh, hopefully by now he feels a lot better that I've made uh, the right choice. <laughs> yeah.
0: and, and the Kenzie five year vision?
2: Five-year vision is we will be able to serve hundreds of thousands of students uh, around the country, but also globally as well, like and uh, hopefully uh, create a new higher education model that is a lot more fair, a lot more affordable, and a lot more accessible, perfect. and giving a lot of underdogs like myself an opportunity to be to break out into tech, to break out into startups without having to go to Stanford or know someone from Stanford.
3: Yeah, nice. and uh, I think that's the perfect segue uh, into the lightning round. Archer, Ruben, and I were definitely underdogs too. Yeah, um, Nothing was given to us. And we always had to go through the back door. They never let us through the front yeah. for some reason. And we've gotten rejected <laughs> plenty of times uh, along the way. And so for the let's do the lightning round. And so this is the point where we ask you tactical questions. And we basically want all of our listeners to get advice from you on how to break in if they're just starting
1: out. Archer, take it away. Yeah, for sure. So this question kind of takes it back to the basics. And imagine that if you moved to a brand new city, you didn't know anyone, and you were starting again, and you only had $100, what would you do? And how would you spend that $100 to break into tech?
2: This was me 20 years ago when I first came to the States. like I had more than $100 in my pocket. <laughs> uh, and McDonald's <laughs> wouldn't even hire me back Damn. then. It, you um, go to networking events... Put yourself out there, introduce uh, yourself, Uh, try to find a mentor, which is very, very important. Try to find someone that you want to be when you grow up. And of course, don't uh, start by asking, You know, can I buy you coffee and give me like an hour or 30 minutes of your time? I want to learn from you. And then after that, ask good questions, be prepared. And then after that, ask, can I meet up with you again three months from now? And then quietly, that person over time becomes your mentor. I think that's very important. So, that someone who uh, is who you aspire to be, kind of giving you the roadmap so that you have a little bit of unfair advantage on how to navigate.
1: Yeah. yeah. And uh, on the topic of mentors, who are your mentors? Who are the people that you aspire to be like?
2: A few key person. One is uh, a, a guy named Chris Lee uh, when I worked at Bank of America that really taught me to think very differently on how to treat people, how to treat your employees, and how to elevate people to be more successful than y- you would be. And then uh, there was another guy named Michael Hahn who's today an investor in Kenzie, but also a VP at a company called Liferay in LA that's very successful. Also a Kenzie employer partner that's uh, up in hire a lot of Kenzie graduates. Nice. He pretty much... Uh, in my first job, I screwed up pretty badly, broke the bill for a 300-person engineering team and thought I'll get fired. Because in school, they taught us a lot of theories, but never really taught us a lot of the practical aspects of doing things. So I wrote very bad code that really did some very bad things. And he felt... He, he felt bad for me and really took me under his wings and really gave me a personal mentorship over over my, my career at Bank of America and really changed my trajectory. And then, you know, my entrepreneur days, uh, Ling Xiao, who was the co-founder of Playdom, a former Kenzie board member, uh, really, really changed my perspective on trying to solve, you know, with limited time in this world, you know, trying to uh, solve big problems and do big things uh, instead of wasting time with low-value items.
3: Yeah. yeah. And I think Um, to Arthur's question about if you only had a hundred dollars and they had to start over the commitment fee for Kenzie, it's only a hundred dollars and you get a job with Kelly services. So
2: (laughs) (laughs) that could be another,
3: uh, (laughs) that could be another way someone can uh, get their, get back on their feet. That's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) So given that
0: um, networking is so important, I assume you've sent some cold emails in your life. Is that, am I accurate there? Who is someone that you sent a cold email to that never responded, that you wish responded to you? And why is that person so high on your list?
2: I actually tried the uh, the cold email approach before. I actually can't think of it. The, the most people I care about who will respond, uh, did respond.
0: Yeah.
2: So that was how I, uh, with the cold email, I was able to get connected, for example, with uh, uh, Terry Jones, the founder and CEO of Travelocity. Oh, wow. Who then uh, joined our board of trustees came to speak with our students with stories and uh, his his experience and all. But we have something in common. It wasn't a fully cold email. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were both part of the State Department uh, CEO groups that you know that talk, and that's why if you if you want to send cold emails, try to add things where that's there. Find something that you have in common with the person you try to target, which will give you a better chance of you know uh, getting through the door. I can't think of instances where I send like pure cold emails where I have zero in common with mm-hmm. the person I'm emailing to. So you took- I get those emails every single day, of <laughs> course, and they don't get a response from
0: So you took the cold email, you did your research, added some kindling, and you made it hot. Nice.
2: Yeah, you got to do your homework. And don't send blast emails to... The worst thing you can do is send email blasts to hundreds and thousands of people and sometimes even forgetting to swap out the name. Uh, yeah. I've seen that so often. Yeah. Uh, and that really destroys all
3: bridges that you
0: have. Yeah, personalize people. it. Super key. Yeah, yeah.
3: personalize it. So in terms of uh, giving advice to our listeners, if you could speak directly to like the Kenzie student, like future student who is going to be applying, what advice would you give them in terms of getting themselves prepared and uh, getting ready for this path?
2: I would say our most successful students are people who really commit. So they, you know, they pretty much put their lives on hold for 12 months to really focus on preparing themselves for the, the, the tech career. They show up every single day. They submit their uh, the simple things. They submit their, their assignments on time. They show up to innovation events. They, when they're there, they push themselves out to talk to the uh, potential employers who are also there. It's very simple things like this. The students that we have the hardest time finding placement for are people who don't show up consistently, you know, uh, who give all kinds of excuses, uh, why I can't come to this event. And at the end, you know how much you get is how much you invest in yourself. So if, if you really want to change your life, you have to invest in yourself. You have to work hard. Like I had three jobs putting myself through college because my my family can't afford to pay everything for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we can't even afford a bed. Uh, you know I like uh, you know I, I you know I had a young kid back then uh, or this, this Mary we were sleeping we, had no, we couldn't afford a mattress we slept on the floor for one year. Wow. So for anyone that comes to me to say how hard their life is and, and everything and they can't focus and all, I was like, I've been there and I have, you know, I, I can claim some street cred and uh, I've managed to change my life around. So there is no excuse why you can, you know, try to put your life in order. Given, yes, there's a lot, a lot of our students, a lot is happening that is beyond their control. And when that happens, we do our best on uh, what we can do to remove those barriers. But the things that are within their control is once those barriers are gone, to be able to focus and come to class and work hard. And if you don't understand the material, our instructors give them one-on-one time to make sure that they are able to to master it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're willing to commit to that, we tell them we are willing to commit to you. So you're the only person who will fail yourself.
3: Yeah, yeah. and yeah. It, I mean, I, I love the point about just like commitment and showing up. We tell people do the 21 day challenge, which takes five minutes a day to complete, and. The people who take it seriously and actually get through it, a lot of them have achieved amazing things and all they had to do was just build the habit of doing something for five minutes a day, right? And if you just change your mindset, instead of saying, I can't be at this event, what can you do to make sure that you can commit? And it might be changing a job before you can do a school. It might be like finding a way to buy yourself this time now in the short term so you can get all of it back once you are in a job and you're only working nine to five making good money. I think it's all a matter of perspective. And if someone is feeling like they're stuck and um, they can't figure it out, reach out to Ruben Archer or me and we'll also help you figure out and give you advice on how to move forward.
0: Yeah, what kind of um, music or movies or or books inspire you?
3: I would
2: say the uh, Pursuit of Happiness, uh, Will Smith or uh, Chris Gardner. And that really speaks to, like, me and a lot of our students. Uh, You know, it's like the system is set up in such a way that, uh, you know, uh, someone uh, with with him, with Chris Gartner, you know, despite being homeless and everything, like, really worked his butt off and really, you know, get himself to be successful. And uh, there was a scene in there where, you know, like, his boss, like, needed to pay for food and asked to borrow 20 bucks from him. Thinking, like, that's no big deal, but not realizing how much of impact that 20 bucks had on his life. Yeah. That is the life that many of our students go through day to day. Yeah and that's why because I've been through that as well, I can relate. I didn't come from privilege and that's why we we try uh, to create as much of to design as much of Kenzie as possible to make sure that these little things these barriers are removed so that our students can focus and have an equal unfair advantage. Entirely. yeah
0: and my, my favorite scene from that um, from that movie is when when his son, is trying to become a basketball player and he's and his and chris tells him you know if you have a dream protect it right and we anytime somebody completes our challenge we tell him, we give them a shirt that says protect your dream so i think that's a great great way to to end the lightning round uh with that said what what was the best way to get in touch with you um and any any last words uh to the people uh,
2: so you can uh follow me on twitter i'm at chuck We, C H O K O O I, and um yeah if you're curious to learn more about Kenzie, feel free to message me, if you have problems with your application, uh, I, I really care about every student that comes in the door and I want to remove barriers and help people be successful. Yeah. So I'm looking very access- uh, accessible. When people have issues uh, you know, with uh, either the application or want to understand the program better, I can be that traffic cop that can direct people to the right resource to help.
0: And that's a yeah. true story. I mean, he's, he, Chag is even in the Kenzie squad inside of the Career Karma app, like answering messages and things like that. So he... He's not just saying that. So, no, thank you for joining us on a Sunday. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Uh, make sure you follow him, Chak Oi C H O K O I on Twitter. Without further ado,
3: let's break in. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you so
2: much, guys. Have a good
3: one. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't want you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.